Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Toby, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 82 unread books on my shelf. With me is my friend Andrew. Hello. And my other friend, Jillian. Hello. Hi, Jillian. Hi. Now, I've been made aware uh, that you and Andrew like know each other fairly well. Yeah, we're familiar. We, we're, we're aware of each other's existence. Oh, good. Yeah, we've been made aware of each other. It's not a big deal. <laughs> By a third party. That's right. Sometimes we see yeah. each other around. The apartment that you live in. The apartment that we share, like the life we share and have committed to sharing. <laughs> for anyone who's joining us for the first time, Andrew and Jillian are engaged. Ooh. Yay. Ooh. <laughs> I like how it feels obligatory that you guys cheer for that. <laughs> we don't want to seem unenthusiastic about exactly. it. Exactly. Just dead silence. They're engaged. How are you guys? Uh, you guys are both back in New York now. Uh, Andrew is no longer in the City of Angels. Uh, no more Maggie. Back to his life in New York. How are you guys doing over there? We're doing good. We just finished um, quarantining since from Andrew's flight back, and so we have emerged into the daylight yet again. And uh, <laughs> and it's you know good to be outside again. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice to be able to leave the apartment, even just to take out the trash. So Andrew, I wanted to ask you about um, something that we're going to be doing from here on out for the to read list uh, that you have more information on. It's called the one to one till 2021. It's a hashtag, right? Yes, it's a hashtag. And actually, we have been doing it for the past month or so, but we just have been sort of struggling about the right way to announce it. But we figured let's just go out and say it. Uh, So the idea comes from Instagram user Danny Ain't Right. The right is spelled like writing with a pencil, um, who runs a, um, a bookstore in Chicago, who went on a podcast called uh, G Thanks Just Bought It Pod. was talking a little bit about ways that you can sort of decentralize white authors in your reading. Um, and I'm going to read from a quote on the G Thanks Just Bought It Instagram, which sort of explains it better than I can. One of my favorite parts of talking with Danny Ain't Right was hearing how she takes the extremely colonized reading lists for the public school curriculum and finds similar books dubbed hood classics that would resonate more with black and brown students. For instance, she told me she pairs Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier with The Great Gatsby and kids love it. Decolonizing our bookshelves isn't just about adding books about racism and civil rights and slavery. There's a world of incredible books about and by black people that white people don't even know exist because our white world gives more life, more credit, more money, and more shelf space to books that center the white people and experiences. Inspired by this convo, G thanks just bought it listener and anti-racism professional at Cater Slater, who, I mean, this is Andrew talking now, is Kate Slater, who has been on our podcast before for the Little Women episode and who's who brought this to our attention. Cater Slater and I decided to challenge ourselves to read hashtag one to one till 2021. For every book by a white author about white people we read or have already read and loved, we'll take a page out of Danny Ain't Right's book and read a similarly themed book by a black author. And so what that means for us is that we're committing to having at least one of the books we cover each episode be written by a black author. We're going to do this through the end of the year. Hopefully we'll carry it forward and we're going to be continuing to bring you not just white voices uh, in the authors that we're covering. As I said earlier, we have already started doing it, but we just wanted to call it out and also give credit to the people we mentioned in terms of who created the hashtag and also um, who originated this idea. Yeah, especially um, when we were discussing doing this, um, I especially had to take a hard look at my list, mostly because my list is made up of books that I kind of have heard about and know I want to read. And I put a lot of sci-fi and fantasy classics on there, which is a notably white list. 
you know, um, Octavia Butler being a standout. Um, but she's a standout for a reason, you know, there, there really aren't a ton of minority voices in classic, so, so-called classic sci-fi and fantasy. But what is exciting to me is that means that I'm going to update my list with a lot more modern sci-fi and fantasy. And that, to me, usually translates to better sci-fi and fantasy. You know, there are classics that are incredible uh, to this day, but there are a lot of classics that are uh, strikingly problematic looking at you, Robert Heinlein. <laughs> Speaking of sort of sci-fi and genre, this perfectly pivots to a question I wanted to pose to y'all, um, which is, in light of Toby reading a romance novel, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is your first romance novel that you've read, Toby? Uh, I wouldn't say first. And in fact, I thought a lot about a romance novel that I read earlier this year called The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman. But I will say it's one of the few like explicitly romance books that I have read in my life. So to that end, I was just curious what other genres you have maybe avoided that you maybe want to give a chance in the spirit of having a more well-rounded reading list. Sure. So one genre that I feel like I haven't really explored much is like thriller books. Like mm. I, I've read some of um, like or like thriller mystery. Like we were talking earlier about John Grisham. I haven't read anything by Dan Brown. Sort of like those big names that you see in, in like airport bookstores. And yeah, heck yeah, I'd love to jump into one of those. Oh, I mean, man. they get a yeah, they get such a bad rap. But, you know, I'll s- sit here and say they're fun and they're and they're popular for a reason. So, yeah, I feel like I've definitely avoided some of those doorstop airport bookstore books just because I think I wouldn't be cool reading them. But, you know, sometimes you got to have fun. I I have read a fair amount of these. (laughs) I am I'm always tempted, like I'm really tempted by this book, like the promise of these books, because I love a good thriller. And I will I will confess, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the Da Vinci Code when it came out. And I think I read Angels and Demons as well and liked it even more. I actually, I have not read uh, Da Vinci Code or Angels and Demons, but I have read Inferno. Why? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was uh, at, on vacation at my uncle's house and didn't bring a book. So that was there. I read it, enjoyed it. That's like, uh, that's like you saying like, I don't like to watch sports. I did try watching an ultimate Frisbee tournament <laughs> once, but I didn't whoa, whoa, care whoa. for it. Jillian is the f- captain of her middle school ultimate Frisbee team. Yeah, so, right? you know, tread carefully. That, that is correct. I was only the game captain. I was not the, the practice captain. But uh... I don't even know why I'm denigrating it. I played it in college. <laughs> I, I love ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Andrew, how about you? Any, any genres you are lacking in? Another sort of genre that I've never really checked out, and I was sort of inspired by it going into coming up on the fall and thinking about what maybe I want to read in, like, the spooky Halloween times, um, and, and also inspired by Dracula. I have never really read horror books except for Dracula. Um, what? I know, right? I mean, like, maybe a couple goosebumps when I was a kid, but nothing like, I, like, haven't read any Shirley Jackson, I haven't read any Wilkie Collins, I haven't read anything other than, like, children's ghost stories. So I would really like to check that out. Are you interested at all? Like, those to me, they're all definitely on the fancy pants literary side. Are they, are you at all intrigued by, like, you say horror and popular fiction, are you at all intrigued by any Stephen King? I'm intrigued by it as a, a mainer. I have to be in a as way, a but I just haven't read him. And I, I, I have enjoyed adaptations of his work. I mean, I think I just got to, in the spirit of, of trying new things, I got to try a Stephen King. This is so funny that you guys have named like your your genres that you don't really care for. And I'm like, I love these genres, but I love I love horror books. I love them. I read um, The Shining for the first time, which is crazy because I've read a bunch of Stephen King, but I read The Shining for the first time this year. And 
I I really stand by it. Like it it was really really good. That and it I think would be two things to consider if you wanted to try out some some Stephen King. I have to yeah. say I'm in the I'm in the same boat as Andrew. I haven't read a single Stephen King book. Ooh, guys, gotta. Uh, so yeah, I'm as as far as for me, I was thinking about this question. I mean, I have romance which we already know I don't read enough of. And then two other genres that I figured I, I really don't read enough of. I don't read any, I have read some, but I haven't read very much historical fiction because it's like, I think it's a smaller genre and I'm just never ever super drawn to it. Um, and I don't read very much poetry, which is like a secret shame of mine. Yeah, I think I should read more poetry, but I'm always so drawn to novels and fiction and longer works that, yeah, it's just not something I read. That's fair. I don't think I read, I I read a lot of poetry in college, mostly because we would have like books of it assigned for class that we would only read like half of it. And I would end up, you know, (laughs) picking up the other half of it to, to have some fun because I'm a wild man. (laughs) To have Um, some fun. But yeah, I I definitely think I should, now that I'm, you know, eight to 10 years removed from college, I should try reading poetry again. Who's that guy slacklining and and reading Walt Whitman? (laughs) Oh, that's Andrew Massey. He's just having some fun. (laughs) He's the only guy on campus who can do an ollie and read Billy Collins. Well, thanks for humoring me, guys. That, that was fun. I think we can always like be stretching ourselves to try different things. And I'm really curious, Toby, to hear what you thought hmm. of the proposal this week, your first to-read list foray into romance. Okay, well, I'll start you off with a, a logline. While the proposal by Jasmine Guillory begins with that very act, an ill-conceived surprise scoreboard proposal by Nicole Patterson's clueless boyfriend, This modern romance ends up being much more about the complexities of modern dating and the concept of consent than a comic depiction of a doomed relationship. Now, that was a bit of an alternative logline, as you can tell, a little bit of editorializing there in the logline, but that's what I got. How sassy of you. So I want to dive right into my orcs and elves in this one, because I feel like I can cover the whole book with the orcs and elves. And I, I think that often we order them in such a way we usually say our elves first and our orcs second and i think it ends up giving like this weird feeling where when the orcs are last it feels like you know a bad compliment sandwich right without like the other piece of bread so this time i'm going to start with my orcs so my first orc (laughs) is uh the the title and the kind of like elevator pitch for this book are very misleading. The back page and all the promotional material is about it's a scoreboard proposal. This woman has a clueless boyfriend who she's only been dating for five months and he has a man bun and they go to the Dodgers game and he proposes to her and she has no idea it's coming and she has to turn him down and escape from the from the Dodger Stadium, right? And I can see why it's marketed that way because that's a great setup. It's a great, I, you can see the scene. It sounds funny and exciting. I was kind of presented with a couple options on which book I wanted to read and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I like baseball in a general way and this sounds like a fun situation. And that whole scenario is over in like three pages. It happens immediately <laughs> and it is done. Um, I, I listened to the audiobook, so I can't be sure of the actual page count. But I mean, in the first 45 seconds, she's being proposed to and then immediately turns him down and then immediately escapes from the stadium. And that is pretty much for the whole book, the extent of both the idea of being proposed to 
and of baseball. It's gone. So what you're saying is you wanted more baseball. Well, kind of, more yeah. More detailed descriptions <laughs> of baseball. <laughs> yes, I wanted I want a little bit of who's on first action. No, I, I and I kind of felt like it was a wasted opportunity. Like in the book, uh, Nicole Patterson is kind of presented as she doesn't like baseball. She doesn't really like sports, all this kind of stuff where I was just like, oh, wouldn't it have been more fun if she did, like she was a Dodgers fan herself and she was more involved in the world. It just, to me, it ended up feeling like this was a cool scene that never was even really given the promise. Like it was it was never delivered upon it because it's over so quickly. And then it kind of felt tacked on to a story that had nothing at all to do with this proposal. So that was that was kind of a major orc for me because I did only because I felt like it was marketed so strongly. Like there's people in baseball hats on the cover of this. And it's just. Yeah, there's literally a baseball on the cover. It's like yeah. a, if you see the <laughs> spine, you notice a baseball. <laughs> yeah. My other major orc is not really a critique um, of the quality of the book, more of my personal enjoyment. So this book fits into a genre convention, I think, where the level of conflict and the level of intensity is never very high. Most of the book is concerned with Nicole, who is a young black woman living in Los Angeles. She's a young professional. She's a, a writer, a freelance writer, and she is kind of, you know, living her her life. Like she has friends and she's trying to find her footing romantically and professionally. It's a very like standard romance setup. And she gets involved with a young Latinx man named Carlos. And they have like a romance off the back of this failed proposal. The guy who proposed to her is shunted out of the story for most of the book and it's about her and Carlos and their relationship the the stakes are so low the whole time most of the time they're getting along fine they have some minor disagreements here and there but things are generally like a problem comes up and it's resolved in the next scene and a problem comes up and it's resolved in the next scene and for me it got pretty boring so those are my orcs <laughs> those are my two main orcs um yeah. Uh, onto the elves. I this book is fun. I like the characters. They're really fun and relatable. Um, there are the obligatory steamy bits, and I will say they are nice and steamy, and I appreciated that. If that's something you're interested in for this book, and then I'd say my biggest elf, my biggest elf, <laughs> and I think the reason that this book has gotten a lot of credit is that. It's a pretty boilerplate romance story where neither of the main characters are white. And while there are like really interesting and funny moments that relate to them not being white, that's not the direct thrust of the story. There are several scenes that are like this. And my favorite one is where Nick, our, one of our main characters, uh, who is a black woman, is going to meet Carlos's best friend and his girlfriend for dinner. And she's very nervous to meet these, this new couple. And Carlos's friend has been described as white, this white guy. And so she assumes that his girlfriend is going to be white. And she shows up to dinner and Carlos's friend's girlfriend is uh, is black. And they both kind of are stunned that neither Carlos nor his friend told either one of them that the other woman was black. And they had this like really funny and charming conversation about it in the bathroom where they're kind of like laughing at their clueless boyfriends. And it was just like such a well-depicted moment. So that was one of my main elves. Well, that sounds really cool. So that, I mean, so that's it. Um, this book is pretty simple. I enjoyed it. But like I said, I think in the end, it's just not, basically it made me really curious for a different kind of romance book, which would be one with a little bit more like danger and spice in it. So this one I think is intentionally mellow. Like it's supposed to relax you. It's supposed to be just good vibes, except for like a couple plot points here and there. So 
listeners, if you guys know an example of something that I'm looking for, I would I want to keep searching. I had fun in this one, but I want more. To that effect, I'm going to give it three stars. Oh, okay. Three. That's nice. Solid. <laughs> you say you want a little more danger in your romance. Have you considered something maybe set in medieval Scotland? Uh, no. Where someone gets no, sent back there? No. <laughs> Jillian, I don't know, actually, your, like, reading history of this. Have you read a lot of romance in the past? Um, yeah, I have. I mean, I'd say Outlander, for example, is a DNF for me, but um, I did start it. So, you know, I'm going to give myself a point for that. I, yeah, I would say I, I've stayed mostly in the genre of, of, like, YA romance, high school, will they, won't they mm-hmm. type of fiction, which I uh, truly just adore and can't get enough of. Squad by Ray McCarthy it, it is a very cool example of a high school queer romance. Great. So. So the proposal by Jasmine Guillory, three stars. Uh, Andrew, do you have any facts uh, about Jasmine Guillory and uh, the proposal? I do. You know how we, we've we been finding sort of themes in our authors. We had a, a, a run where a lot of them were from Brooklyn. We had a run mm-hmm. where a lot of them went to certain colleges. There's another theme that's, that's been bubbling under the surface that Jasmine Guillory just brings to the surface. And it's that. She's a lawyer, um, huh. just like Minjin Lee and a few other folks who who we've reviewed on the podcast. She started out as a lawyer, which apparently is not an uncommon thing for romance authors. Weirdly enough, I was not able to find a birth date or a location for for Jasmine Guillory, but she did graduate high school in 1993 in Oakland, California. She went on to attend Wellesley College in Massachusetts, where she majored in history, going on to work in Washington D.C. for a little bit before attending Stanford Law School back on the West Coast. So she spent the majority of the beginning of her career as a lawyer, only writing on the side. So she clerked for the federal district court in San Francisco for a few years and then left to join a private law firm uh, where she specialized in security and intellectual property. I think this is also not the first appearance of NaNoWriMo, which everyone will recognize as National Novel Writing Month, because in 2015, she participated in NaNoWriMo, where she completed a significant portion of The Wedding Date, which would be her first novel and which went on to be published in 2018. This book is listed as the wedding date number two. I'm and glad I, you asked, It is Toby. mystifying to me because I cannot see any indication of there being like a connection to any other book in this. No, I'm glad you brought this up. So she now has five novels. She's actually published very quickly. And all of her books exist within the same universe. Um, they have shared <laughs> well, characters and sometimes they're more related than others. So, Uh, for example, the connection between the wedding date and the proposal is that Carlos is a side character in the wedding date. Oh, okay. From what I understand, they're intentionally within the same universe involving the same people, but not like a series in that traditional sense. So it's like the Dublin Murder Squad, but for love. The Dublin Love Squad, yes. The Dublin Loving Squad. (laughs) What would be Um, the... the, um the like the verse name for this universe like wedding verse <laughs> the wedding verse i mean i think you got it in one jillian <laughs> the wedding yeah. but that does that does like bring to mind some kind of like guardians of the galaxy they go through a black hole and they come out and there's planets that are like wedding cakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does have a very multiverse feel to it yeah yeah so the the jasmine gillerverse or, no, the wedding verse is the best. The wedding Good job, verse, Julia. yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you. I will say I have read that in the wedding verse, everything is the same, but the sun is made of fondant. <laughs> That's so that true, Toby. I'm glad to you me. brought it up. <laughs> I don't know. Fondant is not that exciting tasting. No. But I guess you're not eating the sun, except for if you're a plant. <laughs> That's going to be the pull quote for this episode. Dot, dot, dot. Or ellipses. <laughs> I guess you're not eating the sun. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that, that pretty much sums up my mental state at any given time. Um, all right. So here's the interview with Refinery29. Uh, first question. Let's set the record on your thoughts on public proposals. Ooh. Jasmine Guillory says, I thought the marathon one was terrible. This is referring to a, a one where a man stopped his soon-to-be fiance in the middle of a marathon to propose to her. I think there are good ways to go about proposals, especially if both people are into it. But she had 10 more miles to go in the marathon. <laughs> Not only did he jump into the middle of the thing she was doing, he slowed down her time. She had to run 10 more miles in the marathon with a whole thing to think about. She wasn't in the zone anymore. <laughs> it was one of the more terrible ones I'd seen in a while. Refinery29 follows up. The one in the book is pretty terrible, too. How did you come up with the idea of starting a book with a public proposal? She says, a few years ago, during the Olympics, there were a bunch of public proposals. One was a woman who had just won a medal. Her boyfriend jumped out of the stands and proposed to her. I was like, let her have her moment. Let her have her yeah. medal and then take her out to dinner tonight and then propose. Why are you jumping in the middle of her whole thing? Then I wondered what happened if someone said no to one of these things. Because they always say yes. I wonder if they really want to say yes. It's unclear. Some people do not look overjoyed in that moment. That's how I got the idea for the proposal. Yeah. You know what? Now that you mentioned that, it, it I've already mentioned this tangentially, but it really does tie into one of my orcs about the book, which is that she, you know, she turns down this proposal and she receives backlash. You know, she gets on support center and people send her mean emails, but it just disappears. And I think it's funny that she mentions that in the interview because it's such an interesting question. What are the long-term effects of turning down one of these proposals? But it just kind of dies in the book. And I really wish that had been played for more interest. Yeah, it does seem like such an interesting thread that I, I feel like I would feel similarly to you had I read this book. Yeah. I'm going to read a couple more quotes from this interview. Honestly, she seems really fun. That's why I really enjoyed reading her <laughs> interviews. I had a blast looking through them. So this next quote, Toby, relates a little bit to what you said in your review as one of your elves. The question is, I love the covers of both of your books. This is after two of her books have been published. On both, it's obvious that the women are black. Why was that important to you? That was really important to me. When I first talked through the cover of The Wedding Date with my editor, she asked me to show her covers of other books that I liked. I said, it's really important that we have a black woman on the cover. They haven't been represented enough in in the books, especially not in romance. I heard too many stories of other writers who had a white character on the cover of their book about a black person. I wanted what? to make it. Yeah, that's so messed up. That is insane. <laughs> I wanted to make that clear from the outset. I've loved seeing how many black women get excited about that when they see the covers. This has delighted me. I mean, that is truly insane to me. Who is the publisher who's like, so this is a book about a main character who's black, but what if we put a white person on the cover of it? Like, yeah. that is that is crazy. Absolutely insane. And I hope something that if it hasn't already stopped happening has stopping very soon. So thank you for those acts. Thank you for those acts, Andrew. Um, How dare <laughs> thank you? you. <laughs> thank you for those facts, Andrew. Now, you know, the proposal is such a fun, lighthearted book. Um, you guys also had something just kind of breezy and cool and like relaxing to read this week, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Super breezy. No heavy topics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just pure candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was super light, super airy. Definitely a candy book. We read The Girls by Emma Klein. I will take this opportunity to say that I also read this book for this week, mostly Whoa. because it's such a... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's in the zeitgeist. I've seen the cover everywhere. I've mistaken it for the cover of the movie Almost Famous many times. Nice. Toby, you're a classic overachiever. But you're right. <laughs> it's like 
every other post on Bookstagram it seems yeah. to have this in it. So here's my logline. While taking time to get her life together at a friend's beach house, middle-aged Evie Boyd runs into her friend's now-grown son and his girlfriend. The unexpected encounter prompts her to look back on her teenage years and the summer she spent with a Manson-esque cult. The events of that summer managed to empower and awaken the younger Evie while simultaneously ensnaring her in a dangerous and ultimately violent dynamic, the resounding effects of which her older self is still discovering and attempting to reconcile. Whoa. Yeah. A logline that even managed to accurately summarize the framing device for this book. I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'll just come right out and say it. I really, really, really liked this book. Uh, I loved it. Um, that was three reallys for the people listening at home. I guess I, I, I didn't like it quite as much as Carly Rae Jepsen really liked that person in that song that she really, 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 really liked. But... Um, <laughs> I, I loved this book, and I, I actually like that idea of starting with orcs, Toby, so I'll, I'm going to appropriate yeah. that from you, because really the only con for me with this book was that going into it, I had this, this built-up expectation, which I would imagine most people would going into a book about a cult, where you're hoping that the book will explore and maybe answer some questions for you regarding how does one get into that situation? How does one become so reverent of and infatuated with a person? that they they're you know willing to literally give up their entire life for that person and what sort of qualities does a person need to possess what's that like unspoken intangible it factor that cult leaders seem to have that just like magnetizes them and draws people to them so that was something yeah, that totally. i was I was curious to to discover, and I I felt that she sort of skirted the issue just purely by merit of the fact that she that the book is really framed around the girls, as the title might suggest. She frames more the friendships between first between Evie and and her high school friend Connie, and then later with her friendship with the girls in the cult, and particularly with this one girl or young woman Suzanne. And so that that while that's my orc, it's actually not really a huge orc for me because I. I like I like that the the structure and the and the focus that the book had. So it was an expectation of mine that was broken, but I'm not too mad about it. Um, nice. So then my elves are many. <laughs> I think the the like just on a broad general scope, you know, most books I find there's one thing that keeps me coming back to it day after day and keeps me turning the page as I'm reading it. And it's usually either the style of the writing, the beauty of the writing, or the plot. And so it's always really exciting to find a book that it, where the answer is both. And this is one of those books where like, it's a super intriguing concept. We're all, you know, curious and obsessed with cults. And then, you know, discovering how she in particular becomes a part of this cult and, and you know, all of the, the things that she goes through over the course of the summer. It's really a page turner in that sense. And then and on top of that, the writing's really beautiful. She she paints these beautiful pictures of, of the world and the people around the character. So yeah, I can't really say enough good things about it. Some of the more particular things I really enjoyed, I liked the, the way that Emma Klein writes uh, like unspoken moments and dynamics between characters. Really early on, I wrote down a quote. This is on page 40. Uh, this is from when she is has first seen Suzanne um, in a park and they first make eye contact and she writes something seemed to pass between us a subtle rearranging of air and that was maybe the first instance of that and I wrote it down because I was like oh wow I told I know exactly what that's like when there's like a, an unspoken conversation that happens in a split second and then it was funny that I wrote that down because then I kept finding that more and more that she I think her dialogue is great but really the like the magic of her writing is in 
those unspoken things. And it's so vivid. Uh, I also found it extremely relatable, despite the fact that this is not my <laughs> lived experience at all. But you know, have, being someone who, you know, grew up as a girl, I think thematically there's a lot of, of writing around what it's like to, to be coming of age as a girl and start to sort of realize the power dynamic that you're being brought into culturally. And so that really resonated with me, even though this book goes to, you know, some very dark places and some really horrible things happen to her along the way. And so that was both, you know, slightly saddening, but also really, really powerful and exciting. Because it is, even if you're reading a book where these you know, bad things are happening. It's like, oh yeah, I can, like, I can see myself in this somehow. So that's always really fun. And then the, the final thing that really struck me was that she has this, like, I don't know if this is Emma Klein's writing style or if this is like, I sort of put my own spin on it that I think it's like the, um, sort of the retrospective voice of the older Evie. But, Hmm. but whenever she encounters a new character, she really like the character Evie, like really assesses them kind of coldly. Like she takes their, she takes their physical appearance and their demeanor and their personality and their intelligence level in and just sort of like goes through it. And there's no, (laughs) there's really like no compassion in how (laughs) she does it. And, and I love that. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed that aspect it's funny that you mentioned that because i hadn't thought about it before but i think it's such it's such a thing she does so well but it's also so typical of like a teenager Mm -hmm. to like just look at someone and be like yeah what a pathetic (laughs) oh little bit balding are we oh disgust you know like she's (laughs) so cold so to sort of piggyback on your review, Jillian, I agree in broad strokes with everything you've said. In particular, the writing, I think, is incredibly strong. In fact, I want most of my review to be a couple of quotes that I really liked from the book. But I, in the spirit of the way we're doing the sort of inverted orcs and elves, I want to start with a couple of my orcs. Um, I sometimes thought that every paragraph in the book felt a little bit like it was trying to be the best paragraph in the book, which I mean Mm -hmm. is, is laudable in a lot of ways, but sometimes I felt like I had to go back and read something several times because style sometimes got in the way of the story. But that was like few and far between and such a tiny orc that I don't even know why I'm saying it because like overall the quality of the writing rose above that. Andrew, I, I want to I wanna step in and I want to validate that opinion. Um, I, I felt the same way sometimes that I, I kind of was like, I need like half a page to catch my breath. There's just a, so much imagery and so much writing that is objectively really good. But sometimes I did feel like it could just, I just needed to coast for half a page. So I agree with that. You know, it's funny. I, 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 I agree as well. I had, I had a similar experience where I'd be, I'd like read a paragraph and then have to stop and digest it. But a different reaction to it where I was just kind of like, I, I would just sort of like sit back and be like, whoa, like that was almost <laughs> in like a hippie voice. That was so cool. I was far out. And then I get back <laughs> into it and, and, you know, keep chugging along. I think that your approach is better than what I tried to do, which is to plow forward and then realize I <laughs> needed to go back to make sure I had understood something. I have this lovely image of of Jillian just like on the couch or wherever, like reading the book. Whoa. (laughs) Just like staring (laughs) off into space. I will say one sort of big orc I had, and I don't know how you get around it, but because this book is so clearly trying to tell the story of a version of the Manson cult, but not the Manson cult, I don't I had some trouble because I have a a lot of familiarity with the story of the Manson story, feeling like it wasn't sort of lifted and shifted. And so part of me was like using a lot of brain energy trying to like dissect the two that I felt a little bit like she was taking a story that existed and not really changing all that much of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that took away from my enjoyment a little bit just because it was so close to the Manson story without being the Manson story. But again, these are sort of small quibbles I had with it. What I really want to talk about is the sentences I really liked in it. So I'm going to do that. First things first, and I literally mean first, it has a dynamite opening sentence, which is just, I looked up because of the laughter and kept looking because of the girls, which drops you right where you need to be, is a wonderful beginning. And it also has a dynamite ending image, which I'm not going to spoil, but it has like a a beautiful ending that I was closed the book and was just like, whoa, Taro Jillian's parlance. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and say I agree 100% with with loving the ending of this book. Same, same. The next quote I want to share, because I, I agree with what you said about how Evie's appraisal of people, this is sort of a quote that relates to that. So I wanted to share this one. It's on page 34 of uh, the paperback edition. It's talking about Evie meeting her new stepmother, feeling something adjacent to love next to Tamar, thighs scuttling on the vinyl seat. Girls are the only ones who can really give each other close attention, the kind we equate with being loved. They noticed what we want noticed. And that's what I did for Tamar. I responded to her symbols, to the style of her hair, and the clothes and the smell of her Lard de Tom perfume, like this was data that mattered, signs that reflected something of her inner self. I took her beauty personally. Yeah, and so I think that's a pretty good uh, example of Klein's sort of mission statement in how she approaches sort of dissecting characters from the beginning uh, and why maybe Evie is so good at it. Uh, she's attuned to observing what folks want her to observe, and I thought that was a brilliant way of putting it. Just to sort of finish going through my elves, along with the great writing, I thought it had a really good rhythm to it. It's like a 350-page book in the version we have, but it felt like I was reading something that flowed with incredible speed. I was astounded whenever I finished hitting my reading goal for the day. I was like, I could I could read more. I could keep going. That's really amazing to me because I listened to the audiobook and in my mind, like when you said it's a 350-page page book, I was like, no way. Because the same thing for me, like it felt like it just blasted by. It felt like a much shorter yeah. book in a good way. Toby, anything you want to add as uh, our bonus third reader of this tome? <laughs> um, well, this tome, what, uh, what do I think about it? Yeah, no, I think you guys covered it really well. I think it is deeply insightful uh, into like an aspect that has been overlooked in this story a lot. You know, so much of the books about the Manson family tend to focus on the central figure, you know, and ignore some of the more interesting players on the sidelines, which this book considers in a really interesting way. And then she ties it to, you know, eternal problems in our society in a really neat and unforced way, I thought. I think it's an interesting counterpoint to another piece of recent culture, which would be the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think has gotten some justified criticism in kind of delighting in demonizing the Manson family um, and showing them almost no sympathy at all in terms of maybe the people in the family who were victimized or dominated or abused. Obviously, it's not uh, intended to be a counterpoint at all, considering it came out before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but I think is an interesting thing to consider. But overall, yeah, all the things you guys said, I 100% agree with. Really enjoy yeah. this book. All right, guys. Well, then what? let's let's boil it down. Star ratings. Let's quantify our enjoyment. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> well, I'm going to go ahead and give it five stars. And it's not my book, so I have no, uh, no choice over whether it stays on the shelf. But if it were my book, I would keep it on my shelf. Nice. 
Andrew? I am going to only give it four stars. Um, I think in my review, I maybe understated how much I was bothered by its similarities to the Manson cult. It affected my enjoyment of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And having that one quibble is enough to lose that star. But, you know, I think in retrospect, it might gain that star back. But yeah, I'm going to go with four. Yep. I'm going to go with Andrew. Four stars for me. I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't the kind of like total knockout of the park. Couldn't ever put it down. Love it. Five star book for me. We're being tough. (laughs) I know. Yeah, tough tough crap. Uh, So that is uh, The Girls by Emma Klein. Let's call it 4.5 stars. Would you guys like to know some stuff about Emma Klein? I would love to. I would. I wonder where we went to college. (laughs) Uh, So Emma Klein was born in 1989, and she was raised in Sonoma County, California. When she was a teenager, she had some acting roles uh, in the film When Billy Beat Bobby, and in a short film entitled Flashcards in 2003. Uh, She graduated high school at age 16. Um, She attended Middlebury College in Vermont. Oh, I wonder... I wonder who went there. Oh, you know, go Panthers. That's all I have to say about that. Julian, I did not know that. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's honestly nothing more humbling than, you know, going through a book that you love and thinking, hmm, I wonder how old this author is and where she went to college. Yep. And it turns out you went to college with her. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I was thinking you guys must have been there at the same time. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this is the second week in a row we've had that happen with one of the authors, which is pretty crazy. I mean, if you guys would just stay away from those prestigious East Coast schools, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> no, I had the exact same feeling when I saw that she was born in 1989. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, anyway, during her first year at college, she won a writing award for her short story, What is Lost? After she graduated, she attended Columbia University, where she got her MFA in 2013. And while at Columbia University, she wrote Marion, a short piece of fiction that was published by the Paris Review in their 2013 summer issue. Since then, her writing has been published in multiple journals, and in 2016, she published The Girls, her debut and to date only novel. So yeah, like a lot of modern authors, not a ton of extra information, so I'm just going to jump right to an interview she did with the Paris Review. The Paris Review asks, I've heard you say that you read extensively about the Manson family long before you started writing The Girls. What other research did you have to do? Emma Klein answers, There are so many cult and commune memoirs, and I read a lot of those to get the specifics of daily life, to get an idea of what time might feel like, how a day might track. The Girls is a historical novel that's set in the past, but I don't think of it as a historical novel. I really wasn't after an assailable historical truth. It was a lot more about trying to achieve a certain mood or tone, which was menace adjacent to California sunshine, than focusing more directly on the group. I mean, yeah, that really shows. The the particularities of it are, are really strong. And you definitely get that, like, manicured beach house being the horror scene vibe very strongly from it. The Paris Review asks, Other readers have noticed that even though the book is saturated in the 60s, the girls doesn't have any of the pop culture marks of that era, obligatory references to the news, movies, TV. Emma Klein answers, those books are movies where you tick off every major cultural event, like Forrest Gump. They just have to interject every famous thing that ever happened. But it was important to me that the girls feel in some way like a timeless story, like you could access the truth that was at the core of it without getting too pinned down to the 60s. It's a matter of choosing details that aren't overly familiar, I think. Details that are slightly adjacent to what's what's expected, and then just keeping in mind and foregrounding emotion. I think that's how things feel real, if you actually write about what would be in the consciousness of a 14-year-old girl, which wouldn't be major cultural or political moments. It would be personal events. I thought that was a really interesting answer to that question because there's no signposts of like, I noticed FDR was on the television or something like that, you know? Uh, FDR. Oh <laughs> yeah, the famous 60s figure, FDR. <laughs> 
Who I you believe know died what I in mean. 1945? <laughs> you know, I don't know why that jumped in my head. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat, Toby. I didn't notice it as it was happening, but but absolutely, there's a universal feeling to it. It feels, if it's tied to anything, it feels more tied to the location in California than to to the yeah. time in which it's set. That Now that you mentioned that, I did want to, I made a mental note that I wanted to say some of her like central Northern California references are so niche and spot on that I was like shocked. For instance, she name drops Woodside, California, which is this sleepy, tiny town in Northern California that I visited a lot of times in my childhood that I literally have never heard mentioned in fiction before. The Parish Review asks, after a short prelude, the book begins by presenting Evie as an adult staying at a friend's beach house, and her memories of 1969 only start to flood in when someone, who turns out to be the son of her friend, comes in unexpectedly. Why did you launch the book that way? And Hannah Klein answers, I guess every book starts with a triggering moment, no? There has to be some incident, I think. I also like the idea of the book opening with this perceived violence, which turns out to be benign. At least, it's not an immediate danger. But it is this evil presence in this other way that's breached the house. And I like that one because I was I was curious about the framing device as well, which I think was well done and gave scope to the book. But at times I was kind of like, is it absolutely necessary, this framing device? Yeah, I, I would say because it comes through every once in a while, I would say certain instances of it I felt were really great. And then other times I could have gone either way about it. So I was sort of mixed on it. I liked it in terms of I, first, there's just something fascinating about seeing how someone who had this lived experience has ended up or you know she's this isn't the end of her life but but you know sort of a where are they now factor to it and then i really really liked the dynamic with sasha and who is the the girlfriend of the friend's son that shows up and sort of the memories of herself that she sees in this this teenage girl that she's just met Uh, i thought that was super effective yeah i agree those are the parts that i really liked all right so guys i have a proposal for you okay you have a proposal do you want to play a game? Oh, those are the end of the facts? Those are the end of the facts, yes. Ah, okay, yes. I will. I accept your proposal. Toby, How about you, Jillian? Toby, I say yes a thousand times yes. I will play a game. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I'm calling this game Proposal Parade. Ooh, this is jaunty. I like it. Um, since there's not much fun about the Manson murders, um, I'm focusing this game pretty exclusively on the proposal. So um, I'm. <laughs> it's very simple. I'm going to give you guys a series of literary characters, and I'm going to have you come up up with how you would propose to this person you do not it does not have to be public it doesn't have to be anything like that but uh yeah i will award points as i see fit and uh are you guys ready to play i'm so ready as someone who recently proposed to somebody (laughs) i feel like i have a leg up in this game you might just (laughs) all right your first person that you must propose to is jay gatsby from the great gatsby hmm Okay, I have mine. So what I would do is I would show up to his house and I would be just wearing a sandwich board sign that said, I will pretend to be Daisy. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) All right, Jillian. So I'm... I'm just going to sort of sweep Gatsby away, uh, essentially kidnapping him to a private, quaint pastoral location. Some sort of a picnic is set up, and it's just the two Mm. of us. Um, It's going to be very personal, very romantic, and I'm going to, you know, just sit him down and say, hey, baby, you don't need all of this opulence. It's a coping mechanism. What we have is real. Um, And and tell him all the things I like about him. That's so unexpectedly sweet. (laughs) I I like that. Uh, I'm sorry. The answer we were looking for was a special shirt. 
with the proposal written on it, but uh, I will accept these answers. Um, I think I'm going to give the point to Jillian because I think that Gatsby, he really needs that love, you know. He, he doesn't need to be with Daisy. He needs true love. Um, so that's that's one for yeah, Jillian. Yeah, but what's he looking for? <laughs> that's true. All right, guys. Your second proposal candidate, Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. Oh. All right, I have mine. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dress myself up as some sort of a a stag or deer (laughs) animal creature, something one might want to hunt if one were, say, an adept huntress. And I'm going to, you know, dash through a clearing where she's hunting and she's going to see me and she's going to try to shoot at me, but I'm going to be really agile and I'm going to... such a dangerous plan. (laughs) It's it's so dangerous, but it's worth it for love. (laughs) I'm going to be very agile and avoid every arrow she shoots, even though I know she's like a perfect shot. Um, And, and, you know, lead her to... I guess I'm going to a pastoral location again. I'm going to lead her to a glen and, and, you know, once she's, she's caught up in the chase, she, you know, she can't help but, you know, want me in whatever capacity and that ends up being marriage because I take off my stag suit and I say, look, I'm a human, but will you marry me? And then she says yes. So this is like a this is like a Bugs Bunny style <laughs> proposal. 100%. And like the surprise reveal. Are you going to like try and gussy up so it's like kind of an attractive uh, stag or whatever? Like, ooh, yeah, throw- I want to shoot it, but also, <laughs> wow. Throw some some fake eyelashes on the, on the stag, a little bit yeah. of lipstick. Okay, so here's my plan. I'm going to take her to a glen <laughs> where in the center of the glen <laughs> is a cornucopia. If you guys have read ooh, the book, you remember okay. the cornucopia is where they can get all the items at the beginning of the Hunger Games. And my plan is, once she gets to the glen and she's like a little scared, like, am I getting sent back to the Hunger Games? I'm going to hit a button. <laughs> And the song that goes shot through the heart and you're to blame kicks on. It doesn't stop. And it just keeps repeating shot through the heart and you're to blame for minutes as I dig through the cornucopia and throw gift after gift to her, ending in a tiny box with a ring. Then I propose. And I can't stress enough that I'm constantly moving and dancing throughout. (laughs) Andrew. That is pretty fantastic. I like how you include an example of her past trauma to kind of give her that terror and then like, (laughs) oh, never mind. It's just a proposal. You got to subvert expectations. (laughs) That moment of, am I back in the Hunger Games, the worst period of my entire life? Oh, wait, no, it's a marriage proposal. Uh, I am going to give you the point for that one, Andrew. I I just got to. (laughs) That's very fair. I love it. All right. Your next famous literary character you must propose to is Sherlock Holmes. From the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Okay, I have mine, and I—I I bet will be sort of similar, Andrew. I—I'm uh, gonna fake my own death. I'm gonna <laughs> die under very mysterious circumstances, and you know, some bereaved loved one of mine is going to come to Sherlock and say, you know, listen, you gotta help me figure out how Jillian died, and then he's going to follow a series of clues. For some reason, the last of which will be actually examining the body you know he's just having a forgetful day (laughs) and when he comes to examine the body and and he he's finally made his deductions i'll pop out from under the morgue sheet and i'll say aha (laughs) i'm not dead after all you missed one crucial (laughs) one crucial point i am still alive you missed the most crucial (laughs) point i love that once again interjecting uh, a moment of terror into your uh, into your proposal it's it's really necessary (laughs) oh man that's so good and so much better than what I came up with. My plan 
and it could backfire. Who's to say? I was just going to become a serial killer, so he had to hunt me down, and maybe the thrill of the chase would, would draw him to me, and then I could, you know, somehow leverage that into his undying love. But that's an awful plan. Please just give Julian the point. <laughs> yeah, I think Julian ran away with this one. That is a clear win for Julian. Oh. All right. Well, that brings us down um, to uh, the next part of our podcast. I'm such a great host. Um, <laughs> and which, it's called. <laughs> which is called The Choosening. The Choosening. Andrew, for, for our next episode, you will be reading book number 98 on your shelf. A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, no. no I'm, <laughs> sorry. I'm really excited to read this. I need to start reading it yesterday. It is long. It is 686 pages. Yowza. I'm excited, though. I've been... I, I, I bought this book because I was really excited about reading it, and then I've only been put off from reading it because of its length. All right, Toby, are you ready for your book? Yes, I am. It is number 70... The Baron in the Trees by Italo Calvino. Ooh. Ooh, I'm very excited. I've read um, Invisible Cities and I've read uh, If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, but I think I read both of those more than 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I'm really excited for this. Cool. Before we go today... I just want to say thank you, Jillian, for coming on to the show and being yeah. our guest. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I was nervous, but it's over now. <laughs> Honestly, you were awesome. And I'm yeah. not just saying that as your fiance. Oh, thank no, you. Jillian, thank you so much for coming on. It was so fun to have you. Thank you. It was really fun to do it. And I'm so glad I got to read the girls. I was just going to say that. I'm so glad you picked the girls because I really enjoyed reading it. So in two weeks, we will come back and I will be reading Italo Calvino's The Baron in the Trees. And Andrew will be reading A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. So look forward to that, Pajos. <laughs> <laughs> Still trying to make it happen. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. Thank you to Andrew and Jillian for co-hosting with me today, to me for sound recording, and to Jillian again for composing our intro song. See you all in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books, books. books.